Well, good evening, all. Uh, welcome to week five of the Alpha. No, it's not week five. Is it week five already? Just wanting to make sure you're paying attention. All right. So welcome to week four of the Alpha course. We are so grateful you're here. I know several of you have still have perfect attendance. How many have made all four weeks so far? All right. That is fantastic. Again, remember, commencement in six weeks. We're 40% through this thing after tonight. So, uh, and, and if you'd like, we've got CDs of the, of the previous weeks. If you'd like to take advantage, you're just popping those in your car and listening. It's safer to listen than watch them while you're driving. It's what somebody told me. So, um, so tonight we are on page 24, How Can We Have Faith? Now, what we've talked about over the course of Alpha is that we all have faith. I am convinced that atheists have much more faith than I do um, because it takes faith to, be, to not believe as much as it takes faith to believe. And so if I were to, if, I, if Alpha would give me the opportunity to retitle tonight, I would retitle tonight, can I be certain about what I believe? Can I be sure? As sure as you can possibly be. So, you know, and... We've talked about this through the weeks. What, through the years, most of us have believed or been exposed to some really interesting concepts of how we hope to have peace with God, purpose on this planet, and maybe even have a home in heaven the moment after our heart stops. Um, but they were more than likely based on this model that we talked about last week, this, this validating performance record model that we perform in such a way that in our mind it validates us for God having to give us what we want and not give us what we don't want. We title this meology, not theology, but meology, my determination that God has to be a certain way. And we talked about the fact that every religion in the world has a model of validation based on their performance. And some of us are better than others. That's why these arrows are like this. Some people are really not very nice or good, and some are just better than others. But the Bible tells us that we all fall short of that which is acceptable to God. So if the Bible's true, this model is going to be insufficient. And so, but this is how we live our lives. So it doesn't matter what the religion is, whether it's a religion in the darkest jungles of Africa or churches set up in the United States, there can be many, many ways in which we think we can somehow, we think we can somehow attain a level of performance whereby God is committed to accepting me. But all that's based on me, and all that's based on my determination and my assessment of what is good enough. And so this is, this is the religion. They're all based on rules. They're based on commandments. They're based on dogma. They're based on dar uh, dharma. They're, they're based on any kind of rule you can imagine. And, and the fact of the matter is, um, we think if we keep the rules, we're going to be okay. The question is, what rules? Whose rules? My rules? Now, here's the truth. And you think about this. You and I both have set up rules in our own mind of morality, of that which is right or wrong. Now, let me just ask you a question. How many of you keep your own rules? None of us even keep our own rules. Now, and I love rules for other people. It, it's just, you know, I, you know, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I mean, really? I mean, so, so we don't even keep our own rules. And I came across uh, an interesting, uh, my wife and I were going, we either at a, some kind of celebration for her family in Arlington, and I came across these pool rules, the rules for swimming in the pool in the Arlington Gateway Hotel. It's 801 North Glebe, Arlington, Virginia. If you ever want to go there, you will see these pool rules, okay? These are, these are the rules, and these rules will just show you that people don't expect you to keep the rules, okay? So first rule, if you have had diarrhea in the past two weeks, please do not use the pool. And I'm thinking, don't use the pool for what? I'm, I'm not making this up. I took this picture with my, with my iPhone 4, I think is what it was. Number two, shower your child and yourself before entering the pool or after using the toilet. I mean, who doesn't do that? I mean, why do I even need to know that? 
Number three, bathers who are not toilet trained or incontinent adults must wear a swim diaper. It's like, really? Did you pay for this? Did you actually pay somebody to do this? But just to show you that they do not believe you are going to keep the rules of the pool. Rule number four, do not drink the pool water. So, why did they just say that to begin with? You know, it's just so... Anyway, <laughs> the fact of the matter is we don't even keep our own rules, much less the others. Now, last week we looked at scriptures that present... Uh, a very difficult issue of what the Bible is true. These are difficult things. All have sinned and come short of that which is acceptable to God. None of us in our own merit, in our own effort, is acceptable to God, is what the Bible teaches, which is terribly bad news if it stays there, if it doesn't get beyond that. But the Bible gratefully does turn the corner. So though Frank has sinned, Frank has lied, stolen, been greedy, been selfish, been envious, all those things. And all those things are proof. Those things are simply proof that I cannot and do not merit God's acceptance, which kind of throws religion on its ear if I'm trying to be as good as I can when, if what the Bible says is true, my best days are not good enough, much less the aggregate of my of my life. But it is universal. Like I said, we have developed or designed a view of God where we define, this is me, probably you, where we define how good we need to be based on our own meology or our meological relativism, as I like to put it, hoping to, to earn the acceptance of this supreme being, whoever it is, based on our goodness. Now, but I want to stop for a second and think this. So many, many of us think, well, I've been good. At, I, may, I may not be perfect, but for heaven's sake, I am better than Charles Abbott, you know, or I am certainly better than you. I mean, th this is kind of the way in which we think. I know I'm not, Charles, but it's just an example. Um, but here's the thing. We, we tend to, to look at our goodness most of it. But let me just say this as well. Though some of us think we're good enough. There are some of us that think we're too bad. That what we've done is unacceptable. What we've done is unforgivable. That God could not possibly accept me because of what I've done. So whether the issue is self-righteousness, because I may not be perfect, but I'm no Charles Manson, or whether it's self-pity, it doesn't matter what you've done. I am worse. You just don't know what I've done. If you knew what I've done, you'd know that God could never accept me. Well, you may think that. You may know that. Here's the good news. God doesn't think that. And God doesn't know that. Because in his economy, there is no uh, ladder of achievement or accomplishment that is enough it doesn't matter in God's economy. All of us, all, every one of us, everyone that's ever drawn breath has fallen short, according to what the Bible says, of what is acceptable to God. And that's bad news, if not for the good news. But from, as I said, using this comparative model of religion with different examples, you know, you and I can, can basically be able to maybe identify with a couple of these examples I'm going to give you here. Maybe, maybe God grades on a curve, right? You know that? I mean, nobody's perfect. He's not going to flunk the whole class. And so he must just grade on a curve. So if, if he grades on a curve, then what I want to do is I want to hang around with the worst people I possibly can. I mean, the, the heathen of heathens. I want to hang out with them so that, and just be a little bit better than them so that maybe I can be accepted in that crowd. So maybe God grades on a curve. Now, tonight we're talking about, can I be sure of my faith? Now, let me just ask you a question. Um, how secure does this leave you in terms of, should you drop off the planet tonight, you're, you're going to be okay? You feeling real secure about that? Uh, uh, but maybe, the, maybe 
Maybe they're scales in heaven. They're just these big scales. And God takes all your, all your negative works, those are minus signs there, all the things you've done bad, and he puts them over here, and then he takes all the good stuff you've done, right? You know the good stuff you've done, don't you? <laughs> you know, so is that enough? Are you going to feel kind of secure about that? Is that enough to make you think maybe the scales are going to chip here? Well, maybe this. Maybe you're feeling a little bit better now. Or maybe you're feeling a little bit better now, you know, because, you know, certainly your, your, your good works are going to be heavy. But here's the question. Who determines how good your good works are? Who determines how good my good works are? Maybe you see me helping some old lady across the street. Like every day, Frank is helping that old lady across the street. Well, but you don't know in my mind is this woman's rich. And the day she dies, I hope I'm in her will. I mean, that's the reason I'm, that's the reason I'm helping her. It's not because I'm interested in her. I'm interested in her helping me is what I'm looking for. And so, but again, even the own motivation, and certainly you remember the thought camera that we brought up last, the thought monitor that we brought up last week. We don't even know our own hearts. We don't. You don't. I don't. So maybe God grades on a curve, or, or maybe there are good works and bad works in heaven. And again, how certain can you be is the question. And this is how we walk around and live all the time with this validating performance record meology. That's what we do. We hope so. We just don't know. But let me just... Here is the meological relativist test right here. Um, let's just say for a moment... Remember that chef you met a couple weeks ago? He's really angry. You remember him week one? Um, Let's say he, he was back tonight, really not in a good mood tonight, and he, he, he spiked to the point of death particular people's meals. Um, now, the way you know whether or not your meal was poisoned is that you're kind of feeling a little sleepy right now. Okay, it's not me. It's not me. It's, it's what he gave you. And then all of a sudden, just imagine, I mean, that really didn't happen, but just imagine you got the spiked meal and poison meal and boom, your head hits the table and you're gone. You're just gone. And the next thing you know, you're standing in front of Jesus. And he says to you, I tried to warn you about those people, but you had to go to that alpha thing anyway. But he says this, now do this with me. Go there right now. You just died. You're dead. We're planning your funeral. Okay? And Jesus asks you this question. You ready? Why should I let you? Why should I accept you? Start thinking, because this is a question. You better get this answer right. Why should I let you into my heaven? Now, you thinking? You should be writing something right now. See, if I were to have been asked that question many years ago, I am starting to try to Rolodex everything that I know is good that I've done. And then I'm trying to find a furnace as quickly as I can to put all the bad things I've done into that furnace to eradicate their existence. See, if the first thing that I think of is what qualifies me based on what I've done and what I haven't done, that is a clear indication that I am living out of a validating performance record, that I am looking for the goodness in myself to pass the class, for the weights to be heavy on the good side, you know? Or to hopefully hang out with people that I'm better than. Trying to compare myself to, to others. But according to the Bible, it just can't be both ways. Here's what Paul wrote to the church in Rome. The 11th chapter, the 6th verse. He says, but if it, that is, but if it, it salvation is by grace... It no longer, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Now, now, let me just unpack that a little bit for you. But if it is this salvation, okay, that is a relationship with Christ, 
is by grace. Remember, grace is unmerited favor. If by having a relationship with Christ is based on grace, God giving you and me something we don't deserve, it is no longer on the basis of your validating performance record. It's no longer based on what you do and what you don't do. It's based on something else. And what the Bible says, it is based on grace, receiving something that you and I do not deserve from someone who loves us infinitely more than you and I can love ourselves. If it's by grace, it can't be by works. Do you, do you simply see that? If it's a left turn, it can't be a right turn. If it's a right turn, it can't be a left turn. They both cannot be true at the same time because they contradict one another. It's, 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 it's as simple as that. See, and so, as I said, so both of these cannot be true. The Bible can't be true at the same time all these others are true. So I'm not, not necessarily saying, hey, believe the Bible. I'm just telling you there's a remarkable, complete, 180-degree difference between what the Bible teaches and what the Quran teaches or the Book of Mormon teaches or the Bhagavad Gita teaches or any of these other religious books teach. Those books teach, hope you make it. The Bible teaches you don't have a chance, but you do have a prayer. And it's based on what Christ has done, not what you or I have done. See, there's this, there's, well, excuse me, there's this big dividing wall that stands between both of these. They contradict one another. Either this is false and this is true, or this is false and this is true, or they're just both false. But they both can't be true at the same time. So, so the question is here, what do I believe, what do I believe qualifies me for God's acceptance? I think that's a great question, quite honestly. If we believe in, that there is a God who's paying attention to each and every one of our lives, what qualifies me? Is it Christ's validating performance record in my place? Or is it my validating performance record and I don't need his assistance? Thank you very much. So... In meology, or my validating performance record, I am, like, again, I know this may sound rough, but this is really the truth of it. In meology, or, with, or hoping for my record of validation, I am my own savior. Do, do, we have to see that. We don't have to see that. But if you look at it, that's basically what it's saying. I can accomplish this myself with a little help from God. With a little help from my friends, maybe. But man, I can't even untie a knot in my shoe, much less untie the knots that I've created in my life. So this question, how can we have faith? How can we know for sure? And the Bible teaches this. Again, whether it's true or not, this is what the Bible teaches. So you're going to know what it doesn't teach. The Bible teaches that God wants you and me to know for sure what our standing is before him and whether heaven is going to be our home the split second after our heart stops whether there is meaningful life in the dash and life that is beyond description in the line meaning and purpose now like we could never experience an incredible i don't even know how to put into words the moment after our heart stops. And look, if I had a desire for tonight, if I got a desire for tonight, if I can get a prayer answered for tonight, this is what it's going to be. And it's very, I'm speaking to you, obviously I'm always speaking to each of you, but I, but I really want you to hear this. My hope, my prayer, my desire for tonight would be that you would leave here tonight absolutely certain of what it means to have a relationship with Christ, if what the Bible says is true, and certain as to whether you have that relationship or you don't have that relationship based on, not me, but just based on what the Bible says. Because the, because the Bible says God wants us to be sure. 
So I want you to do this. Grab a little pen real quick, because I want you to write this in your book somewhere, wherever you would. Just this quick little statement. I, don't, I, should, I should have put it up on the board here, and I apologize for not doing that. But it just says this real quickly. Christianity. Or you can just write a C. You'll know what that means. Christianity, or being a follower of Christ, is about... Christianity is about first becoming someone. Christianity is about first becoming someone before it's about doing something. Christianity is about first becoming someone before it's about doing something. Again, that statement right there, which we're going to unpack a little bit more, is a huge contradiction between the religion of biblical Christianity and the religion of the religions of the world. Let me just bring you to, uh, to a scripture. Paul writes to the, the Corinthian church. This is his second letter to the Corinthian church. And this is what he says here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... Now, I told you last week we were going to unpack that two-letter word in. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new or she is a new creation... The old is passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, let me take you back to week. Maybe it was last week. We talked about being plugged in. Was that last week? We talked about being plugged into death. Okay. So what Paul is saying here, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. He is unplugged from a, this is going to sound crazy, a life of death. (laughs) And he's going to be plugged into new life. If anyone is in Christ, he or she becomes someone they were not before. And who you were before has passed away. Everything becomes new. Now that is an amazing statement from the scripture that we just got to grasp. And I, and I think we will. So it's about being unplugged from death and being plugged into life, becoming a New creatures. So when I say Christianity is about becoming someone before it's about doing something, I would say every one of us in this room, more than likely, at one time, including me, would have said, I'm just trying to be as good as I possibly can. We weren't thinking about our identity. We weren't thinking about our relationship with God so much as we were thinking about what do I have to do to get what I want and not get what I don't want. Okay, the Bible teaches this. So hang on. The Bible teaches that you and I were born, when you, we came out of our mother's womb, we were born physically creations of God. But we were not born physically children of God. Now, I'm going to show you some scripture to support that in just a minute. But the Bible does not say when you and I are physically born, we are born children of God. It says we're born creations of God. But the Bible does say this. If you're in Christ, which we'll talk about more in a minute, you become a new creation. You become a child of God. Again, whether you believe it or not, let me just show you a scripture here. This is the gospel of John, very beginning of the gospel. He, that is Jesus, came to his own, yet his own did not receive him. He's talking here about the Jews. Yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to, you see this word here, become? Can you become something you already are? No. You can't become what you already are. He gave the right to become children of God, children born, not of Buddy and Carol and Loria, not of natural descent, or of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Yet to all who received him. Okay, there's an action point there of receiving him. And then this is what John uh, records Jesus saying in the third chapter. Jesus says this to a, a very prominent business religious leader whose name was Nicodemus. He says this in the third chapter. He says, Nicodemus... Flesh gives birth to flesh. So let me just use myself here. Loria gives birth to Loria. Right? Physical people give birth to physical people. I mean, you can call your little daughter an angel or whatever, but she's just a physical person. 
Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Do you see that? I, this is, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Now, I thought that was something for years. I thought Billy Graham had trademarked that term, born again. That, that, he got that from Jesus. I didn't know that because I know it was in the Bible. And so there's flesh giving birth to flesh, physical life. Physically alive, the Bible says, but spiritually dead. We're going to really talk about this in a minute. But the spirit gives birth to spirit. And he's saying to this religious man, this man is very religious. Hey, don't, do not be surprised at what I'm telling you. But he was mortified by what Jesus was telling him. So the Bible teaches this. The Bible teaches that the entire human race was born of our progenitor, Adam. And the ramifications of that is death. Now, remember last week, and I think even the week before, we went to the garden together. We went to the garden, and we, we, we reenacted that scene where God says, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat of this, you shall surely die. And we talked about the fact that they didn't drop over physically when they ate that, but something died. Their relationship with God died. They were separated from him. Remember we talked about the fact God, death in the Bible is not annihilation, but separation. And so they were separated from God. So that, those are the ramifications. They were, again, if you will, they were unplugged from God and they were plugged into death. That's the ramification. Here's what Paul writes to the Roman church. He says, therefore, just as through one man, that would be Adam, sin, that would be separation from God, entered into the world, and death through sin, through that separation. And so death spread to all men, because all sinned. The DNA that is in, the spiritual DNA that I inherited from my, from my father goes all the way down the, the lineage to Adam, because all sinned. So then, as through one transgression, okay, just sin, there resulted condemnation, separation to all men. Even so, here's, here's the good news, even so, through one act of righteousness, this is the work of Christ through one act of righteousness. There resulted justification, not guilty, and life, no more separation to all men. And then he goes on to say this. For as through the one man's disobedience, Adam, the many were made sinners, we inherit that. Even so through the obedience of the one, that is Christ, the many who receive, who believe, will be made righteous, acceptable, welcomed, a child of God. That's what that is saying. So let me just draw this for you. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 22, this is what Paul writes. For in Adam all die. Now these are some expensive props. Please, no one try to steal these from me. So... In Adam, all die. Now, all have sinned and come short of that which is acceptable to God. So the whole human race gets piled into Adam. Everybody gets piled into Adam here. Okay? In Adam, all die. All are separated. That's every one of us in this room, everyone that's ever drawn breath, every one of us that are drawing breath, everyone that will ever draw breath. That's what the Bible says. In Adam, if you're in Adam... You're separated from God, Frank Loria. It's just the way it is. So, how is that? Well, here's Adam, okay? The wages of sin is death. Hell, death, separation. But let's say, say this is you. It's just all of you. Can, whether this actually resembles you or not is probably not true. But let's just say my little stick man here is you. Okay? Now, where would you be if your mom and dad hadn't been? Wouldn't be. Well, where would you be if your mom and dad's mom and dad had never been? And your mom and, mom and dad's mom and dad, mom and dad had never been. Do you see what I'm saying? We'll take the whole lineage, and here's the question. Who's your daddy? 
Adam is our daddy. So you just go through the lineage and we inherit what our dad gave us. This is not a question. That's not fair. He did that. That's not a question of fair. It's a question of inheritance. I inherit what my dad gave me. It's like, you know, if, if Donnie's dad leaves him a ton of money and, and my dad leaves me a ton of money in debt, it's not a question of what's fair. It's, a simp- it's inheritance. And I inherit. And the evidence is profound that we act like we're dead in our relationship to God. As good as we may try to be, none of us measures up. So in Adam, all die. But in Christ, the many shall be made alive. And so Christ comes, he dies on a cross, he offers us himself, he himself is eternal life. And in, to as many as received him, remember that scripture in John, to as many as received him, actually I think we used the analogy last week of this gift I wanted to give you, how much good is it doing in you, my hand? It's not doing you any good until you receive it. I paid for this. I want you to have it. It will save your, not only your life, but your eternity. In Christ, the many shall be made alive. And so what happens here, we get taken out of Adam when we receive him and we get placed into Christ. We're taken out of Adam and we're placed into Christ because we believe him and we are in Christ. No longer in Adam, but in Christ and so when we see this, our, God sees our, our life in Adam as no longer. And so when we read this scripture now, therefore, if anyone, anyone, doesn't matter how good you think you were or how bad you think you were, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. No more separation because I've been taken out of death and I've been given a new father, if you will. I've been given a new life is what's, is what's happened. And that is, that's the picture that we have here. You see, in Adam, hear me again, all die in Christ. The many will be made Alive. I mean, this is why Jesus, if you think about this for a minute, let me just go back real quick. If Jesus is born of Joseph, the carpenter, who's Jesus' daddy? Adam. It wasn't just some cool trick. Christ had to be born, if what the Bible tells us is true, Christ had to be born of the Holy Spirit, or he's born into the lineage of Adam. And even if he lived a perfect life, He'd have been dead, separated from God. He could not, would not qualify to be the the Lamb of God, which we're familiar with this term, who takes away your sins and my sins. Couldn't do it. So let me just go back now. All right. So you see, being in, in Adam... In, in Christ, there's no median. You're, some people have told me, well, Frank, you know, I feel like I got one foot in Christ and one foot in Adam. No, you're just not that limber. It's just not possible. You are either, I am either dead or alive. Tonight, are you, are you dead or alive? I mean, your heart's beating, you're breathing, you look like you're alive. Uh, you're either dead or alive. Spiritually, you're either dead or alive. I mean, that's hard because in, in the way in which I was brought up, it's like, isn't everything just kind of relative? Maybe. But in the Bible, it's not relative. Actually, in a way it is. It's who you're related to. You're either related to Adam or you're related to Christ. You're either in Adam or in Christ. And you don't want to be, you don't want to be in Adam because, I mean, that would be a damn shame if you were been in Adam. So you don't want to be in the Adams family. Okay. So anyway, I just love that. Does anybody not know the Adams family? Okay, okay, I feel much better about that. All right. So here's the question. Here's the question. What if God wants you and me to know for sure that we're either in the family of Adam 
or we're in the family of God, the family of Christ. What if God wants you to know that? Well, here's my argument, if you just let me say this. You're here tonight, if you don't know this, because God wants you to know this. Not because of me, not because of anybody else, because God wants you to know this. So, show me, what has the Bible said? Here's the question. What a here, let's think about you. As, as lousy as a parent you may be, as lousy as a parent I may be, would a loving parent want their child to know that you, in fact, that child, in fact, is your child? Well, sure. So here is the question. The, here is what God says. He wants us to know for sure. Let me just give you one scripture real quickly. Paul wrote this. This is a letter from John. This is not the Gospel of John. That, that John writes to those who are no longer in Adam, but are in Christ. And John writes this. And this is the testimony. Okay? You know what a testimony is. It's a, it's a declaration of your life. Here's the testimony. That God gave us eternal life. Does it say that you gave yourself eternal life and God just had to say, okay? Does it say that? No. It's a gift. Remember? It's a gift. To God gave us eternal life. He who, now catch this, he who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may hope you have eternal life, so that you may think you have eternal life, so that you may pray that you have eternal life. Is that what it says? No, it just says blank there, but I want you to know what it says. So that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, there is not, the New Testament's written in, in Koine Greek, just common, everyday, street language Greek. There could not be a stronger word for knowing that you know that you know than the word that is used there. If you have the Son, you're alive, the Bible says. If you don't have the Son, you're not but John says, these things are written to you so that you may, for those who are in Christ, you may know it. You may know it. So that you may know you have Christ. Okay? Because eternal life is not a thing. Eternal life is a person. God gave us Christ to give us him, himself. He gave us Christ to give us himself. So on page 25... Uh, the Word of God, the Bible tells us that God is the initiator. Um, I don't know. Um, have you ever been pursued by somebody? Ladies, you've been pursued by somebody that just really thought, mm, I would really like to, to have a relationship. Um, how did that make you feel? Unless the guy just made you really sick and he just wanted to be on another side of the planet. Um, I mean, wow. I mean, they're interested in me. They're, they're calling me. This is, you know, at least I, you know that feeling, right, with, with Anthony. I mean, it didn't take that long. But, um, but here's the thing. The Bible tells us that God is the one who initiates, pursues us. Do you know why that is? Because dead people don't pursue much. They're just dead. They don't have any interests. You know, you can play a doorstop pretty well. You can be a doorstop. You can be all kinds of different things. But you don't pursue well. Okay? And if I'm separated from God, I'm not going to pursue God. And, and so God is the one who initiates. This is so good. Here, here Paul writing again to the Romans. Look at this. But God shows his love for us. Okay, again, I want you to make this really personal, please. For God shows his love for you, Cersei. For God shows his love for you, Danielle. For God shows his love for you, Amanda, that while you were still, Frank, a sinner, separated from God, dead in your sins, Christ died for you. Therefore, we have now been justified. Do you see the past completed action there? We, it's, it's, it's been done. 
I'm not still trying to be justified. Therefore, we have been justified by his blood. In other words, by his cross, by his sacrifice. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. This, if this is true, again, I've said this before, there is no greater news than this. And so again, I, I beg you to not leave this to assumption. If, if, if there is a God, ask him, is this true? While I was still a sinner, you died for me? You justified me? You saved me? Really? You, you welcomed me? You accepted me? You not only that, you, you wanted me? Do you, do you know me even? Do you know me? And he says, yeah, much more than you know yourself. And not only do I know you on October 12th, 2021, I know you on October 12th, 2031. I know you on October 13th. I know you tomorrow. Because how many sins, by the way, had you committed when Christ died? Is anybody here that old? He died for all of our sins before we were even born. We're going to talk more about that as well. So God is the initiator. I'm going to, um, I'm going to pass over that Ezekiel passage. But here's John 10, 28. John is speaking of those who... Uh, Jesus is speaking of those who will be in Christ... He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. Again, here's what's great. There's, nothing, there's no uncertainty in God. He knows those who are his own and who will be his own. He knows all of that. And they follow me. Look at this. And there's that give word again. And it doesn't say, and they will pay for, work for, earn eternal life. It doesn't say that. And I give eternal life, my life to them, and they will never perish. What that means is they will never be separated from me. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, do you see that? If no one can snatch you out of Christ's hand, how strong of a grip must he have? How strong of a grip must he want to have? How much of you does he want? Ladies, you're walking down Canal Street. You got your purse. Gentlemen, you may be walking down Canal Street and you got your wallet. Or your man purse. I mean, whatever you may have. You holding on to that thing? Yeah, you're holding on to that thing. You don't know if anybody's coming to get your purse. But Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, but he's not going to get you. If I have you, no one will snatch you out of my hand. Do you see? Again, tonight is all about, can I know about my relationship with God? Can I know for sure about my life in the dash and my life forever in the line? If what the Bible's telling me is true, the answer is yes. Yes, yes, yes. And again, I'm not asking you to believe that, though I'm asking you to believe that. I'm asking you to consider this. And at least know what the Bible says and what it doesn't, doesn't say. So the Bible says that we have security. If we are in Christ, we have security because we have been birthed into and joined to and held on to by Christ. Not because of our self-will or our church attendance or anything else. So on page 25, it says here, you'll see this little thing, faith. Faith equals taking God's promises and daring to believe them. All right? Taking God's promises and daring to believe them. Not just giving mental assent. You know what mental assent is? Well, I'm going to tell you in a minute what mental assent is if you don't know what it is. It means taking God's promises and daring to believe them. In other words, if I believe something, a response is necessary. Now, let me just do this. Let me take you to uh, one of my favorite vacation spots, uh, Niagara Falls. Now, it was on June 30th, 1859, that a guy by the name of Charles Blondin actually took a rope. And he didn't actually go over the falls. He went farther down this way to the rapids. No one 
who has, people have survived. I don't know if you've been here, ever heard any Niagara stories. People have fallen off the falls and survived. But no one, when you come down into the rapids, has ever survived falling into the rapids. Well, what Blondin did, he went to the rapids and he strung a, a rope from one side of the falls to the next. And let's just say he's gathered a group of people here. And you have seen him. We're, we're, the, we're the people there at Niagara that are watching uh, Blondin do some amazing things. So he's gone back and forth across the tightrope. Uh, at one point in time, he put his, literally, you can see the pictures of this, put his manager on his back and went back and forth. I would look for a higher percentage of the, of the gate if I was going to get on his back. And he took him back and forth. Well, let's say Blondin, you know, he comes in, he takes a little break. We're all applauding for Blondin and the great work that he's done. And then he says this. He says, I can take a person, put him in a wheelbarrow, and take him from one side of the falls to the next. Do you believe me? And one of the Teen Challenge guys go, I believe you can do it. And then Blondin says, then get in. You see, mental ascent is saying, yeah, yeah, I believe you can do it. But the heck, I ain't getting in that thing. You know, there's no way. But if you believe he can do it, you get in the wheelbarrow. Now, next week, we're gonna, I'm going to follow this through a little bit more. But believe is acting on what you and I say we believe. It's not mental assent. It's not giving lip, lip service to. It's actually believing what and acting on what I say I believe. And so tonight, look, you may be here. You may be watching live stream. And I'm just, I'm just getting so grateful that you're here regardless of where you are. But maybe you just hear and you're curious. Okay. Meaning, I don't know I believe a word you're saying. Now, if you're here, you could say, I don't know if I believe a word you're saying, but the food is good, right? And you're worth the indigestion that I get by listening to you. You may say that, but you're just curious. I don't know that I believe any of this, Frank, but I'm curious. Okay, hey, thank you for being here, curious. Thank you for watching, curious. Really, thank you. I mean that with all my heart. Thank you. Or maybe you're here convinced. In other words, I, you grew up in church. You went to parochial school of whatever denominational ilk. Um, but I'm just not quite sure. This sounds a little radical, what you're talking about. Not familiar with this Bible stuff. So you, you're convinced, but you're not getting in the wheelbarrow. Or maybe you're here and you're committed. Now, here's the thing. When you get... In that wheelbarrow, how committed are you? When you get on an airplane, how committed are you to the pilot? Right? Okay, so, so you have just put 100% of your faith. You are committed to Blondin's ability to get you across from one side to the other. How much assistance do you think he's looking for from you? Hey, pal, don't move. I got this. See? Now, now think about this. When Jesus came, he said, I can take a man. I can take a woman. I can take her out of hell. I can take him out of hell. And I can give him life. Do you believe me? Get in. Follow me. Trust me. See? I know Blondin did those things, but they were cool for a minute. Jesus comes from heaven. He spans the chasm between us and God. He dies for our sins, and then he says, if you believe me, you'll let, let me take you where you can't take yourself. And there is no greater news than that. God is... Um, Christ is the one who worked in such a way that we would have this kind of life because of what, of what he did in God's initiation.
And so we're not talking about mental assent here. And every one of us is, well, maybe we, you know, maybe we're callous. Maybe I could throw another C on there. Maybe we just don't care at all. Hey, again, thanks for being here callous, really. Come, come find me. Beat me up. Do whatever you want to do. Just be happy not to be beaten up by you. But be happy to, to take any of your questions or thoughts, honestly. Okay? And so we see this. But um, let me just give you another example of, of mental assent versus actually believing and acting on what you believe. <laughs> um, let's say Annette and I are getting married. And... Um, Many, obviously, many years ago, 43 years ago now, uh, that happened. Um, but let's say before the wedding, the minister's standing there and he, he says, we're, we're about to exchange vows. Okay? Colin, Sarah, pay rapt attention right now. Um, we're about to say the vows. Um, and the minister says to me, Frank, do you take Annette to be your wife? And I say to the minister, uh, Reverend, she's gorgeous. And uh, I would absolutely be so proud to have her on my arm. He says, and he says to me, that's nice, Frank, but do you take Annette to be your wife? Well, uh, I don't know if you've ever tasted her cooking, but she's a great cook. And I know I'd, I'd never go hungry. I mean, uh, that's nice, Frank, but do you take Annette to be your wife? Well, you know, her dad's rich, and the day he kicks, I mean, we could be in pretty good shape. Um, that's right, Frank, but do you take Annette to be your wife? In other words, I can believe all the right things about Annette and never say two words. I do. So you can believe your whole life all the right things about Jesus and what he did. And never say, I do. Um, Two thousand years ago, thereabouts, according to history, according to the Bible as well, a man named Jesus who proclaimed to be God come in the flesh to carry the weight of all of our sins upon himself and to sacrifice himself and to, for us so that we would not have to pay for our own sins. He hanged on a cross. Now, I want you to do this again. I've asked you this earlier tonight. Just put yourself here. Place yourself at that cross. Jesus is, according to history, bleeding profusely from his head with thorns this long jammed into his brow all across his head. Blood pouring into his eyes so he probably can't even see. His, his wrists pierced with nails so he was palsy at taking the owner nerve and probably severing the owner nerve so he's got no ability to even control his hands. Piercing his feet, his back is just ribboned open by whipping after whipping after whipping with bone and, and, uh, and nail. And you're standing there and he lifts his head and he looks you straight in the face. And he says to you, I do. I do. For 2,000 years, he's waited, maybe for this night, to hear you say, I do. Because you're only going to say, I do, because in your heart, you do. And that's the work of God's spirit. Jesus' life and his death proves he loves us and he desires us. Uh, let me just run through this real quick. 
See, because here's what the Bible says. For it's by God's grace we've... He, Paul writes this to the letter to the church at Ephesus. He says, by grace you have Christ's life. You've been saved. You're in Christ. No longer, no longer in Adam. But how is that? For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that is not from yourselves. In other words, what, the, what, what Paul is writing is even the faith you have to believe... To hear what I just said a moment ago about saying I do. It's the gift of God. It is not by your works. So that nobody can boast. Nobody can say, yeah, I'm here because I'm, I'm better than all you people. That's why you're not there. It's by grace. It's not by works. And then Paul writes again to the church in Corinth. God made him, that is Jesus, who was perfect. He had no sin. To become sin for us, to take me, the sinner's place, so that in him, no longer in Adam, in him, I might become, look at this, this is crazy, the righteousness, acceptable one child of, of God. I can't do that without him. Is what the Bible says. So I'm closing here, but uh, the third. So we saw that, that God is the initiator. It's Christ's works, and it's the Spirit's witness. And this is the witness of the Spirit. When you say "I do," there's something that happens on the inside. For some people, it's dramatic. Some people they just wake up like me. I just woke up the next morning, and I, I knew I was different. I knew the, I, I had to get a hold of the Bible. And start reading one. And to that point in time I had no interest in the Bible. Much less even knew what one was. Um, but there's a change that happens. And just, just wrote these. So this is kind of the witness of the Spirit. There's just a few things here. I, I found and maybe some of you have too. And you can talk about this tonight at your table too. To ask your table host. What, what happened to you? Maybe there's a new and different love for God and for others begins to take place. Uh, there's a, a change of attitude and motivations. Maybe the change of your language, even. I've, I've heard people say language just got, it's like some, a spiritual bar of soap got thrown in their mouth or something overnight. Um, uh, a sense that a weight has been lifted off of your heart and your mind. I hear this all the time. Can I explain it? Not at all. But I know it's true. See, those are the things. I don't know if I've got another one here or not. Yeah, it is. There's a change of interests. Now, that doesn't mean you become like everybody else. No, you're you. You love to fish? You may love to fish more. You love to, sh to hunt? Do whatever you do? So, yeah, you're just you, but now you're you out of Adam and into Christ. Same interests, more interests, but different and you just don't know quite how to explain it. Again, this has nothing to do, can I just say this? This has nothing to do with where, where you go to church, what denomination you're a part of, whether you go to church at all. It has nothing to do with that. The Bible does not talk about denominations, ever, ever. Um, but I want you to hear this. Tonight, if, not, if October 12th, is today October 12th, is the night you would like to say, I do to Jesus? Can I just encourage you? Don't get all dressed up. <laughs> but just say to Jesus, I do too. I do too. I'm tired of being single. I'm tired of being in the wrong family, right? I want to be put into... Christ, right? I want to get out of Adam. I want to die to being an Adam, and I want to be in. A, I want to be in the family that you have given me. So I want to encourage you to do that. Next week we're going to be in session six. If you're following along, we're going to skip over session five to how and why do we pray to. How, how do you read the Bible? We're going to talk about some more evidences about the Bible. We're going to talk about more what it means to be in. To, to see what the scripture says about that. And tonight, if you're watching, you want to go through some discussion questions. If you're watching live stream or video, you can just go to the Lakeview Christian Center app and just go to Alpha 
and then questions. And you can just, maybe if you're watching alone, you can just look at, through some of those questions yourself and just think about those things. So let's do this. Let's take a quick break uh, and get back to our tables as quickly as possible. Thank you all for coming. And I sure hope to see you and you again next week. Thanks again.